Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Saludos y saludos. This is Rick Claudio Montalban, brother of Ricardo. If you are like me, you enjoy the finer things in life, like cars, Corinthian leather, and Linux fests. Join Indiana Linux Fest, one of the finest Linux fests, as they begin their march to freedom. Go to indianalinux.org to learn more. That's indianalinux.org. Mmm, now that is what I call fine Corinthian leather. <laughs> And welcome to Linux in Hamshack. My name is Richard KB5JBV here in the beautiful tropical Mulch Springs, Texas. Had a little cold snap, but it's better now. Let me introduce you to that old snow shoveler of the north, Russ A5PUX. Say hello to Russ, everybody. Say hello to everybody, Russ. The dyslexia. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Russ, K5TUX. Yes, are you okay? Okay, good to hear it. Well, there's not a lot of snow up this way, not a lot of anything to shovel, really. We're doing pretty well. Weather's been a little bit cold, uh, but nothing I can complain about. Yes. Yes. We've been in the 70s the last two days down here, which is kind of strange because this time last week it was like, almost single digit down there i kept having to go out and bust up the dog's water every three hours <laughs> well we haven't had to deal with anything like that i'm happy to say anyway we mentioned we're running a little behind we'll see how the see how the release schedule runs up richard got him a new job and it's uh, physical labor is beating him to death after sitting around for 10 months but russ has promised not to kill me and that this is a good thing. Bill is still, uh, I know he has a loaded pistol over at his place, but we're, we're working on that. We are working on that. Hello, everybody. Glad y'all are here. Hello to everybody in the chat room this evening. Uh, kind of a slim turnout, but that's okay. First couple of warm days, everybody going to be out doing stuff. What's going on in your world, Russ? I, I understand y'all been auto buying. 
we have been out auto buying. We needed another vehicle for Cheryl because the vehicle she's been driving is not very good. Uh, it's starting to get old, starting to get a little bit unreliable, and we just wanted a little something better. So we went out and bought ourselves another SUV, GMC Yukon Denali, as it were. We're enjoying the heck out of it. That's uh, all I can say about that, really. It's uh, quite the gas guzzler, so definitely we're not uh, appealing to all the tree huggers out there. But uh, we don't really care because we really enjoy the vehicle. Well, there you go. And I tell all the tree huggers the same thing I tell my son when he gripes at me about stuff. I was like, Bubba, (laughs) by the time it becomes a problem, I won't be here, so I don't care. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't necessarily want to leave my problems to my kids or to my friends' kids or anything like that, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. However, you could put a plow on the front of it. Make some money when it snows. All right. I could do that, but I'm not really, you know, into that kind of thing. It's it's easier than shoveling the driveway. It is. We just have a neighbor who comes and does it for us. Oh, I see. You hear that, Cheryl? <laughs> she knows about it. She called first. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Enough of this friendly chit-chat. All righty. So... I know we got some announcements and stuff. Let me start off because I'm very happy about this. I was, just, <clears throat> in fact, I was going to try and get him to get in the chat room tonight and maybe even talking him into calling us on Skype, but he, he's got another conference call going on and that's, that's not the world famous clicking pin. It's, it's actually a wrapper for some blades I bought for my box knife over here popping. So y'all send hate mail to Ted at who really cares.com anyway so i'm really happy about this this i've been talking to jerry taylor and he he announced it on it in a little short segment over at his place he's back he's coming back he's got his enthusiasm his groove is on he is ready to go he's going to put out some more practical amateur radio podcast this makes me feel good i like jerry's show I like Jerry. I like everything about Jerry, except that he lives in Colorado. But that's okay, because he's from here. Well, he's from down there, Houston. But that's okay. I'm happy he's back on. So y'all make sure that your iTunes is warmed up, and he's in your feed, and everything else, that his feed's active, and everything else, because Jerry Taylor, KD0BIK, is back. And sooner or later, me and him going to hook up in person. We were supposed to meet up at Belton last year, the year before, and he ended up not making it. So, what do you think about that, Russ? Ha <laughs> ha! Well, I'm actually really happy to hear that the Practical Amateur Radio podcast is back. I know we've talked about it several times. His show has its own personality, just like this show has its own personality. The other one has its personality. Y'all know what the other one is. And they all have different takes on the amateur radio hobby, and it's good to hear alternate views, even Bill's. Oh, listen to this. We have finally added the the uh, silent member of our group at lhspodcast.info. Well, Russ's did it because I didn't know it was there. And it's, it's really nice. Listen, it says KA9WKA. Bill is the Linux in the Ham Shack resident show notes taker, occasional co-host, keeper of all knowledge, and all-around good guy. 
He didn't get but a little old dinky paragraph. Well, how much do you want to give him? I gave him quite a bit. He was very happy. Okay, well, it's small but powerful. It's small but powerful. Yes, that's exactly right. Small but powerful, just like Bill. Only when he's had the three bean salad. The smell of voodoo is in the air. And if any of you guys are listening in the uh, in the Twin Cities, um, y'all don't tell him I stole that because I want him to put it back on his show. <laughs> anyway, uh, we we've talked about Jerry and we've talked about Bill. So what else? You, you got something over there? Well, I should probably bring up MagnaCon if I can. I just want to say that MagnaCon, unfortunately, has been postponed until 2012. We're just not going to have enough time to get it done, unfortunately. We tried. We gave it our best. But we're going to have to do a little bit better planning, get a few more people and volunteers involved, and then we're going to make sure it's a great thing in 2012. And Let's see. Do I have any other details I need to lay upon y'all at this time? I know I told y'all the last time that... We're back in business at the other place. Thank you very much. So, with that, I don't have any more announcements. Do you have any more announcements? I do want to let everybody know that we will be at the Indiana Linux Fest this weekend. That's March 25th through the 27th. We will be there. Uh, I will be doing a talk on one of those days. I'm not sure which one. And we will be exhibiting on March 26th. And I do believe we are going to have a nice giveaway so everybody needs to stop by the Linux in the Hamshack booth at the Indiana Linux Fest. And uh, if you can't get to Indianapolis, that's too bad because we're going to have some good fun stuff there. We're going to do interviews. We're going to have all kinds of fun going on. Because we couldn't get MagnaCon off the ground this year, we are going to spend a lot of our energy at some of the other conferences going on. And then we'll put ourselves to work for 2012. So come out to Indianapolis for ILF. We're also going to be at the Southeast Linux Fest, and we're going to be at the Ohio Linux Fest as well. So we hope to see everybody at all of those different Linux festivals. Linux in the Hamshack will be there. We'll have T-shirts. We'll have giveaways. We'll have fun. And we want to talk to everybody who's a listener and everybody who isn't so uh, we can make them listeners for the future. Hope to see everybody there. Uh, and with that, I think that's it for announcements. And since this first segment is kind of short for a change, why don't we just kind of roll on into feedback? I know you've got one from Elon over at the Scale Conference, which has pretty much passed us by at this point, but we might as well go ahead and read his email. What it says is, hello, I'm contacting you on behalf of Scale, the Southern California Linux Expo. We are a community-run, non-profit Linux and open-source conference in Los Angeles, California. Our next Scale, 9X, will be our 0TH. I think it's probably supposed to be 10. 10th annual show. It will be held on February 25th through 27th, 2011 at the Los Angeles Airport, Hilton. Uh, more information is available at the website. Get your pen ready, Bill. www.socalinuxexpo.org Stroke Scale9X We are hoping that you might be able to play our audio promo on your show and or link to us from your website. The promo contains a discount code, 
which would allow your listeners to attend at 50% off the show registration. We have both audio and video PSAs available this year. And then it gives all the links and stuff, and I'm going to have Sam build this email so he can get these links if he wants to put them in his show notes. But anyway, we got lots and lots of links and stuff, and then it talks about uh, who's going to be there and everything else, and it's a pretty long email, and I'm not going to read it all. But thank you for sending it. So what do you think about that, Russ? I think you pretty much said it all. I don't think we need to uh, beat that horse any further. I never say and I never say it all. Well, you said enough. I say most of it. Okay. We've got uh, piece feedback off the website for episode fifty-one. Windows in the ham shack. Apparently, this episode has made people want to come uh, come throw some feedback on the website or throw up on the over the website. Something I don't know. However, Kevin does say the two previous comments hit on a good point. I started in ham radio, building and building and building. I bought a commercial radio. It was a kit, a Heath kit, HW8, and I loved it. Ham radio has its roots in the DIYer, and that is where its spirit is. Linux has its roots in exactly the same arena. Rather than buy commercial Unix DIYers, buy commercial Unix DIYers create their own POSIX OS in Linux and GNU, GNU, GNU. That aside, your appliance operator comment is spot on. I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, uh, now as to my preference of Linux as an OS. Even my MacBook runs Ubuntu, by the way. I look at it as added flexibility, real security, and more choices. Not less than a pure Windows environment. Flexibility, no computer OS is a as configurable as Linux. You can choose nearly infinite possibilities for your desktop environment, windowing environment, etc. Uh, there really are no restrictions or imposed limitations. Don't like the placement of the buttons on Windows or the actions of certain mouse buttons? Change them. Security, what can you say? Windows is a broken product right out of the box. My favorite analogy is buying a boat. Let's say you bought a new yacht, and the first thing you had to do was go buy some resin to plug the holes in the hull. Would that be a good deal? What's the first software you have to buy for Windows? Antivirus. Since the OS is so open to intrusion from so many directions right out of the right out of the box windows 7 is no better sofos did a test on a stock win 7 install and found that 8 out of 10 of their most recent bug samples readily infected the os fail choices virtualbox linux is my host os it's built on a stable and reliable file system one of the seven or more choices, by the way. Most most that I need to do, I can accomplish with free and open software. For a few Windows apps that I need or maybe want to run, I keep a WinXP virtual machine around. Basically, my software choices include everything out there, including all Windows software. Some things don't even need 
the virtual machine. Wine lets many Windows apps run natively under Win, uh, under Linux, under Windex, under Linux, including loggers, satellite trackers, etc. Speaking of open source software, why pay $800 for Photoshop when GIMP works so well and supports PS files? Open Office has handled every MS Office document I've thrown at it and doesn't cost $130. Inkscape takes care of my Adobe Illustrator tasks for my design work. Scribus does everything Adobe InDesign does. It goes on. I have found open source software to accomplish every major task that commercial Windows software provides with compatibility with the native files. I chuckle when I read and hear of Photoshop crashing and costing someone lost work. It crashes often. I have not had a single crash with GIMP. Not one. Ever. Me neither, by the way. Uh, professionally, I worked in IT at a large company with nearly 400 Mac workstations, a few Windows servers, a bunch of Linux servers, and a smattering of Windows VMs for accounting, phone system, etc. I work on computers all day. At home, I just want to use my computer, not waste time on maintenance or repair of broken software. The choice is obvious for me. And that is a very lengthy piece of feedback, but very, uh, got a lot of good points in it from Kevin, KB9RLW. What do you think, Russ? Well, I think a lot of things about that email. Let me see if I can try and go down through the list here and, and uh, enumerate them. Preference of Linux as an OS. Well, I think he's talking to the, the choir here because I believe that if you're listening to this podcast, your preferred OS is probably Linux or soon will be if we have anything to say about it. <laughs> um, about no computer OS being con- as configurable as Linux, that's pretty true. One of the things that I immediately thought of when I read this is the bit about multiple workspaces in Linux. You know, that's something that comes out of Linux or the, you know, the X Windows and GNOME and KDE desktops and most of the other desktop environments is multiple workspaces. Windows has been around for how many years? And the only way you can get multiple workspaces on it is to download third-party applications. And I think the last time I tried to do that, they were for-pay applications. They weren't free. So uh, talk about being behind the times a little bit. Uh, the thing about buying antivirus, that was true up until recently, but ever since Microsoft released Microsoft Security Essentials, you can now download your antivirus for free. Um, and there are some other free ones, but Microsoft Security Essentials actually works pretty well for what it does. And AVG, 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 AVG. <laughs> no, it, used, I used to be an AVG fan, but they are now bloated, horrid, uh, uglyware. And uh, Microsoft Security Essentials is where it's at for antivirus. VirtualBox, yes, I love VirtualBox. It does great things. It does have the onus of being associated with Oracle, so you kind of have to take or leave VirtualBox. Um, I choose to take it. I use it quite a bit. And it's uh, very useful, particularly if you have a Linux host and you want to run some Windows virtual machines. Great stuff there. Let's see what else does he say here. Oh, GIMP and... Uh, the GIMP and Photoshop thing, I, I guess we did have that discussion either in the last episode or the one before about 
coding uh, Adobe Photoshop for Linux. And, yeah, I guess I don't see the point of it, really, because GIMP does a whole lot of things, and I use it all the time. I think I see the other side of it, whereas why can't they just code it for Linux? Just because something is open source software doesn't mean you can't write something commercial for it. Uh, Adobe has made a decision where they're most likely not going to convert Photoshop to Linux, and as far as I'm concerned, that's okay. If they do it, that's okay, too. Bribus is excellent. Uh, if you're into uh, desktop publishing, Scribus is a wonderful piece of software. You should definitely check it out. It's in the Debian and, uh, you know, Fedora repositories. I think that's about all I had to say about that. Let's, let's see, I work on computers all day, blah, blah, blah. Just want to use my computers and not waste time on maintenance or repair. You know, Windows 7 isn't too bad. I haven't had it crash on me since I've been using it, so... It's an okay option. If you're a Windows user, it's probably the best Windows that's ever come out, um, with the possible exception of Windows 2000, which was extremely stable when it was out. It's still, you know, closed source. It's still proprietary, so Linux is better overall. But if you have to pick something in the Windows world, I'd go with Windows 7. I think I hit all the points he had in there, so what do you have to say? DOS 5 kick butt. It did. It was kind of lacking in the graphical environment, though. That's okay. I like it that way. That's why I'm trying to learn my terminal. But you know what? Everything he said, I agree with. In fact, those are just about the points that I lay down when I'm talking to somebody about it. And as far as the GIMP, oh, let me tell you, I'm finding more and more features on it all the time. Yes, Richard's been watching GIMP videos. Yeah. You go blind if you watch too many, <laughs> but that that's the whole point around here. There's only two things I use windows for in this, in the, uh, back here where we record, I use it for, okay. Three things I use it for. <laughs> okay. Four things. For five, five things. I use it, what? Six, six things, seven, 15. Anyway, <clears throat> I use it for iTunes. I use it for programming radios. And I use it for Skype. And the only reason I use it for Skype instead of put, doing the Skype on one of the Ubuntu machines is at the time I didn't see any reason for having a complete full-grown computer sitting over there, and all it was doing was running iTunes. As far as Windows 7, yes, I have used it, but I'm very gentle with it because I'm afraid of breaking Windows because it breaks. However, I will say that Windows 7 is the most Linux-like of any Windows operating system I have ever seen. So, yes, all, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the last email. I'm, I'm on a thousand percent agreement. Heh. Windows is Linux-like, you sly dog. That's what I said. It's the most Linux-like of all the Windows. I know, and I'm, I'm saying that's, you're, you're get you're working that in there, even though there's nothing Linux-like about Windows at all. Windows 7? Play with it some more. <laughs> You'll find three or four things in there that have been in Linux for some time. Well, I'm not talking about stuff they stole. You know, that's I mean, that, that's been going on forever. I'm talking about stuff they stole. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that's what you were talking about because that thing, that's, that's been going on for years. That's how Bill Gates got his first job and his first sale. Yeah. Well, it wasn't Linux back then, but it was close. No, he stole DOS. Right. Yeah, there you have it. Okay. Yeah. But okay. you know what? Since we're already talking about this, we're already on show 51 and the feedback for 51. Let's talk about Dave. 
AA6YQ. How's that for a segue? Dave left us a, a comment, and he apparently found a place that describes how to run DX Lab on Linux. And I will turn this email over to uh, the taker of show notes. It's uh, www.dxlabsuite.com stroke dxlabwiki stroke dxlablinux. And I haven't had a chance to sit down and look at it at length, but y'all go over and check it out. I, tell me what, tell us what y'all think, because we want to know what y'all think about this. Uh, you got any comments on that one, Russ? Yeah, I absolutely have comments on that. If you actually go to the website, which apparently you haven't, all it does is tell you what I told everybody about DX Lab the first time around when we talked about it is that you cannot run it under Linux. That, that's what I said the first time. And this wiki page, all it does is says if you want to run DX Lab under Linux or under Linux, what you have to do is use Sun XVM and a Windows XP virtual machine. Well, that's not running DX Lab under Linux. That's running DX Lab under a virtualization manager in Windows. Even DX Lab website itself says you cannot run it under Linux. And I've tried. I've tried using a Wine, and it will not load. It absolutely will not. Even if you install the uh, Wine version or the Windows version of Mono under Wine, it will not load. Uh, if you're trying to run DX Lab natively in Linux, uh, give up because it, it won't happen, at least not yet. Maybe someday, but not now. Okay, well, in that case, AA6YQ, if you're listening, neener, neener. <laughs> so, okay, I'm just trying to keep in the theme of things, and I saw that David put that in there, and, you know, the interesting thing is, apparently that was a popular show because we got one more. Okay, well, I, yeah, but, I, you know, I don't get to rant that much on this show, you know, so that there we go. I'm rant just telling you away. all. That's right. Rant away. You cannot run DX Lab under Linux. So the DX Lab guys, you suck. There you go. For all the folks over at DX Lab, we would like to say from the crew here at Linux in the Ham Shack, kiss my badger. I agree 100%. So on we go. Okay. So last but not least on episode 51 feedback, we have one from Rick, K9AO, K9AO Rick. And Rick, was apparently we touched a lot of good subjects on that one. We needed to go back and take it apart and rip out and make separate episodes of everything we talked about because apparently it got everybody's attention. It says, uh, and he is talking about episode 51 in feedback here. It says, I enjoyed the discussion of Echolink. I heard your discussion of using the Echolink software under Wine, but wondered whether you knew about SVX Link. This is a native Linux Echolink server and client application. The app allows for links and nodes to connect to Echolink to be used so sysops can use it, but it runs natively on Linux. The client part of the SVX link is called Qtel and does a fine job of connecting a user to utilize the Echolink network. The uh, website he puts down here is svxlink.sourceforge.net-install.php. I have used Echo Link, and this is also a native Linux app, but I dislike the interface. 
Qtel is for is far superior. Anyway, I don't know if you have heard of SVX Link, and it is definitely worth a look, whether you are an Echolink sysop or a user. Keep up the good work. And that is from Rick. Rick, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have in the past attempted to use Qtel. I am not a big Echolink fan. In fact, I like Echolink just slightly more than I like APRS. So my experience with Qtel when I did try it, when I first got on Linux, was with Harv's Hamshack hack, and it was simply a horrible experience. And uh, I have sent a, set up uh, radios here so people could get on Echolink and stuff like that, but I normally do stuff like that for other people, not for myself, and uh, and all this other stuff. However, I will revisit it, try and keep an open mind, and see how it turns out. What do you think, Russ? I took this email when I got it, and I went over to the, the website there at SourceForge.net to try and play around with SVX Link because I do use Echolink, uh, occasionally, and I was very interested to try and find a native application for Echolink so I didn't have to use the Windows version under Wine, which is what I do now. Now, I will say that the Windows version under Wine works very well. So uh, that that's one application you can run under Wine, and it works decently. You don't have to worry about it. I've, I've been running a link node for Echolink for quite some time with it, and it works fantastic. So when I checked out SVX Link, I found out that the the best way for me to do it, since it was a Fedora project and everything was based on RPMs, and I'm a Debian head and I use everything Debian, that I should build it from source. Well, I found a page that explained how to build all the packages from source. It even told you what things you needed to get from the repositories, uh, what packages you needed to download, uh, what dependencies you needed, and how to build the whole thing. So I went through the things step by step. It was very clear. It was very organized. I did everything it said to do. And when I went to build the application, it failed, crashed, and burned in a horrible way. So I have not been able to try out SVX Link, but I will keep working on it. And when I actually get this thing to get up and run, and I get some time to play around with it, then we will talk about it some more. But for right now, it's a fail. So there you go. Uh, like I said, well, I will go back and take a look at it. I'm always tinkering around here, blowing something up, tearing something up. And um, I'll go on back over and take a look at it. Like I said, my initial experience with Qtel was bad. But we're talking about the version of Qtel that was in Horace Hamshack hack. That's how long ago I used it. Uh, I'll go back and take another look. But keep us, we will keep everybody posted on how this comes along because, uh, after I finish my upcoming D star project, I may put another node back on the air for, or, uh, another link station up on, on the air for a little while. We'll see what happens. Well, we've been going a while, Russ. You want to go take a, take a short break? That sounds good. One thing I would like to say before we take that break is thank you to Rick for the kind words and everything and for telling us about SBX Link. I didn't want to make it sound like I was totally down on everything he told us because I'm not, and I really am interested in the project. 
And I, and I really want to thank Rick K9, K9 Alpha Oscar, Kilo 9 Alpha Oscar, for writing in, sending us some feedback, because we love the feedback. Before we get too, too much further into this, we want to go ahead and say thank you to Joseph. You know who you are. For your donation to uh, the Linux in the Ham Shack at uh, Dayton Hamvention Fund, yeah, thank you, thank you, Joseph, for for sending that uh, in. Would you like to thank Joseph yourself? Yes, thank you very much, Joseph C, for your very generous donation to send us to the Dayton Hamvention. I think he knows who he is. Well, I know he knows who he is, but nobody else who knows who he is, and nobody else still knows who he is. So, ha ha. That's because it's a secret donation. Now, I will say that I haven't mentioned this before. I mentioned it last year, but I haven't mentioned it this year, that if you make a donation to send us to the Dayton Hamvention, your name will be on our banner in our booth at Dayton. So you will be recognized. Well, at least your name will be recognized. Well, that's true. People, if you have a call sign, people can go look you up too, but. All right, let's get on with this thing. Next one we got is from Jonathan. Jonathan, because I ain't going to slaughter that last name. NATO. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Frostbite systems, all that good stuff. John says, hello. Uh, if you want to install the extra codecs in Debian, and I was talking about the fact that I was having a problem with Flash Player is why he sent this. Uh, may have been the last episode or the episode before. Uh, if you want to install the extra codecs in De- Debian, you have to add the repo to Debian. The reason why you have to add a repo is because Debian is concerned about software freedom. This is why you can't install Flash and close codecs. If you want these codecs, you must install the multimedia repo. If you search for this repo, you will find it. You just have to edit your sources list file. Then you can install all of the codecs that you are looking for. Ice Weasel and Ice Dove are the same exact programs. We'll get to that in a minute as Firefox and Thunderbird. The only differences is the Mozilla branding and there are some non-free parts in these two programs and Debian takes these out. Linux Mint Debian basically does all of the adding additional codecs and what not by and what not by default. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for that information. But let me cover a couple things before I hand it over to Russ. Number one, as far as installing the extra codecs, I spent almost a full day trying to remove Ganache so I could install Flash. Almost a full day. And every time I tried to uninstall Ganache, it wanted to completely uninstall my GNOME desktop. And after not being able to figure out a way to do so... I gave up. Now, as far as Ice Weasel and Ice Dove, they are the same exact program of Firefox and Thunderbird, one version back. And I'm using the freshest Firefox and the Thunderbird over here. So stepping back almost a full version number is like stepping into the dark ages. Other than those two things, I was really enjoying Debian. And I was starting to remember why I loved it so much when I first got on Linux or when I moved to it from SUSE 
and started using Debian-based distributions. But thank you, and unfortunately, I've had to go back to the LTS of uh, the most recent LTS of Ubuntu, and it seems to be doing what I was needing it to do, which was basically I needed to communicate with my telephone so I could get my pictures and stuff off of it and stuff. But, Jonathan, thank you. And we may even find a place to post this so that folks can go take a look at it if they're having an issue. Okay, I've had my, I've said my piece, Russ. What do you got? Okay, um, a couple of things. One, to address Jonathan Nato, and that is the bit about the uh, software freedom. Yes, Debian is definitely concerned about software freedom in the FSF sense, and that's why you won't find any of those things in the repositories. However, you can add in your slash Etsy slash app slash sources dot list to the lines in there under Debian. You'll see that you have, um, it says Deb and then a URL, and then it'll say something like main for the main packages. Well, if you change main to contrib main non-free, and then do an app-get update on your system, you will have access to a lot of non-free, in the free software foundation sense, software from the Debian repositories. However, the things like libdvdcssread and, you know, the stuff that actually breaks encryption on DVDs and the other non-free codecs that Linux Mint installs by default, if you want those, you have to install stuff from the repository under debian-multimedia.org. And I have posted that in the Etherpad for Bill, so that URL, or at least the line that you need to paste into your sources.list file, will be in the show notes. You just uh, paste that in, do an app-get update, and you'll be able to install, you know, all of those cool things that allow you to play uh, multimedia that you normally wouldn't be able to play. Now, let me see, what was the other thing? Oh, that was the thing about removing ganache. You said you had all kinds of problems removing ganache, or you it took you forever and you couldn't do it eventually? It kept trying to take my desktop away from me. Okay, well, here's what you do. Instead of using, well, how are you doing it? Were you using, like, dpackage-remove? No, I was using my favorite synaptic. Okay, well, here's a little tip for you. If you want to remove something without removing its, co- you know, its associated dependencies, uh-huh. use the dash dash force dash all flag for dpackage. So, in other words, if your package is ganache, you can do dpackage space dash dash. Uh, I think it's dash remove or dash dash remove. I don't remember which. Um, and then dash dash force dash all and then space ganache. And if you do that, it will just, you know, I think it may complain and say, if you do this, you know, you better know what you're doing. But it will then go ahead and remove it uh, regardless of what the dependencies are. It'll just do it. We'll just go Fedora over here. No, you won't go Fedora. I know you better than that. <laughs> it's going to be one cold day in Dallas before you go to uh, Fedora. <laughs> Okay, maybe PC Linux OS. <laughs> well, I could understand that maybe, but you, that's that's still kind of jumping the tracks because you'd be going to BSD then. 
Uh-uh, it's Mandrake. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, PC Linux OS you were saying. I was thinking of the other thing. What's the, what's the BSD that everyone likes? Ghost, Ghost OS, Ghost BSD? I don't know. I think it's Ghost BSD. I stay away from BSDs because that's acronym like it scares me. BSD? Yeah, it sounds rude. I don't know. BSD was actually a precursor to Linux. I used BSD way before I ever used Linux. It's still a pretty cool operating system. And yes, that's I was right. right. Ghost BSD is the one that's that's very user friendly. So if you ever want to try out uh, BSD, try Ghost BSD. GhostBSD.org. Still but, sounds rude. Yeah, it's that's the ghost like the uh, you know the spirit. Ooh, ghost BSD. So. Okay, so it's rude and scary. That's right. It's rude and scary. Anyway, thank you, Jonathan. And uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, sending that in. But you know. We're, we're super stupid over here at Resonant Frequency, the MT Radio podcast. And I'm going to say that because I don't want Russ getting mad at me because I'm making sure that it's pointed at this studio and not both studios. <laughs> However, since you're listening, get in contact with us, man. We'd like to have you on the show. Okay. Of course, after that, we might never get him on the show. Okay. Next thing we got, we got a Google alert. Yeah, buddy, Google Alert. He put us on his website as a link, uh, Jonathan did, and that probably won't be there after this episode comes out. So. <laughs> I don't think you, you don't have enough faith in Jonathan. I think he, I don't think we said anything disparaging about him, did we? No, but Jonathan, if, if you did get upset, I do apologize. And if you feel you need to vent, Please send a rude email to ka9wka at uh, badgerhollow.com. K9wka at badgerhollow.com, home of the holographic badger. Okay, well, I'm going to read this next one because it's from EI7IG, and he doesn't want us to read it, so therefore I must. Well, good. It'll keep me from being in trouble. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you get first crack at the answer, so here it is. This is from John, EI7IG, our resident Irish, um, like true full-blooded Irish over in Ireland listener. Um, we may have more than one, but we've only heard from one. That's right. John, my people, I have tracked them back as far as Galway Bay, Galway Bay in Ireland. Go ahead, Russ. Okay. John says, hi, guys. No need to read this out. It'll only waste valuable airtime, which is exactly why we're reading it out. Exactly. Yeah. I'm emailing as I couldn't raise Richard in the IRC channel. Anyway, just wanted to say a few things. After chastising Russ in the IRC channel about episode 53, I have to say episode 53 was a cracker. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to have to check out all of the features David went through. And it was great to hear the voice behind the call sign. that We're talking about W1HKJ, by the way. Mr. FLDG. Mr. FLDG, that's right. The voice behind the call sign and the author of one of my favorite pieces of software. Your enthusiasm was infectious. Today I listened to 54 on the way home from my parents, and I enjoyed that as well. However, I wanted to point Richard at APRSIS32 with a link here that Bill will put in the show notes. An APRS client for Windows. I've not used it. I'm I'm a Zaster devotee. But I've seen folks mentioning it quite a lot, and the author, KJ4ERJ, seems very active on various lists and seems to be listening to the requests of users. Oh, IPv6. I've been running it in the shack for quite a number of years, and it works since about 2002. Jeff Houston does a very interesting column, uh, link to be included in the show notes, on various items, including IPv6. 
It's worth a read if you have the time. Shouts to Bill. He does a great job with the notes. Thanks, man. Cheers, John, EI7IG. Well, thanks, John, for all the kind words, and I'll let Richard have first crack at any comments he wants to make. John, sometimes it's difficult to raise the dead, especially in a chat room. Ha, ha, ha. But, yes, uh, um, the only reason there's infectious enthusiasm about FLDG is I think it's one of the greatest pieces of software ever written. You know, people people lose their minds over Ham Radio Deluxe. Well, it, you know, it's a fat, it, it's, it's the uh, pre-diet pill, uh, Anna Nicole Smith of amateur radio software. I like something sleek. Straightforward and to the point. And FL Digi, it, you got to get enthusiastic about FL Digi. Now, as far as, uh, APRS is concerned, everybody knows I'm not an APRS guy, but I haven't seen a lot of improvement in the software over the 10, 12, 63 years it's been around. Um, disaster is as good as anything I've seen. And, uh, as far as this APRS IS 32, I'll take a look at it. Just because I don't like something, and y'all know this by now, if you've been listening to this show, been listening to the other show, y'all know by now, I don't let my personal likes and dislikes interfere with me bringing y'all information on stuff. So, uh, I will take a look at it. I would like to find out more. And as far as IPv6, I have no idea. That's Russ's department. <laughs> No, because I still got a bone to pick with. I ain't even going to mention R-Sync because I'm still mad about that. So, what you got, Russ? Not much, really. We I will talk about IPv6 in an upcoming episode because it's something we're all going to need to know about. And I did do, I did do that interview about with um, uh, Rudy Van Drunen on IPv6 over on HPR, so you want to check that out when you get a chance. Um, I've been trying to implement it here, but I've been having trouble with it. I, I can implement it here locally in my house. Uh, because he.net does tunnel brokering and stuff like that, but I've been trying to uh, implement it at work, but we don't have devices that handle proper IPv6 routing yet, so I'm working on that. But I plan to be IPv6 fluent here in the next couple of months, so uh, I'll definitely be talking some more about that. My stuff will do it. I just can't make it work. Yeah, stuff here will do it too, but I can't get any any of the traffic to pass out to the internet because the routers between here and there don't handle the traffic properly. That's stupid. I know I'm working on it. Don't call me stupid. I didn't say you were stupid. I said that was stupid. Okay. Stupid old piece of junk equipment. Well, anyway, it's nice to hear from you, John. I always like talking to you in the IRC and hearing your comments uh, when they come in. So, uh, Thank you very much, and I guess we'll move on to the next thing. We'll see. There you go. Apparently, Russ has been shipping off emails without anybody knowing anything about it because, sure enough, here come here come an email back straight from the man, the king of Linux, amateur Linux uh, podcast, Mr. Larry Bushy, and his partner, Tom. Hi, Larry and Tom. Anyway, um, it says a badger. It must be Linux in the ham shack. Thanks for the feedback. We love you guys too. Larry, Larry, we love your show. And somebody on a recent episode of yours in feedback says compared to you guys to uh, chess Griffin. I'll tell you what. Um, I put y'all up in that category too. So what's this all about Russ? 
Well, I honestly think it's because they listened to the episode wherein you talked about them, episode number 54. I, that's because I think they're great. They're not all crappy like, like some of them crappy shows. Well, I think they're yeah. great, too, and it was kind of interesting because the last couple of episodes they put, well, not the last one specifically, but a couple before that, Tom apparently was under a rock somewhere, so it was just Larry, but it was still entertaining. Tom has been on hiatus. Tom has been on hiatus. In the last episode, they did feedback, and he was back. Now, didn't they have a thing early on where I listened to it where he said that they don't call, they don't say what Tom's last name is because it looks like Chaudoir, because it's French or something like that, but it's actually pronounced like Chowder. Yeah, and, something like that. Yeah, something like that, and they no one can ever get it right, so they just call him Tom. I'm trying to remember right now what his what his old amateur radio call sign was. He used to be a ham, and he let it lapse. And when I found that out, I sent him an email and let him know that uh, uh, it it was still available. And I'm sure I've got that email around here somewhere. But uh, hey, he's have he he has the luck with the computers that I have. He goes to upgrade or put something on there or something else, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And and so I can identify with Tom. Now, Larry, Larry's so cool, I don't even know. He's like a god. He's kind of like a Chess Griffin or Marlon Dunn or, 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 or Russ. Yeah, like Russ. Oh, so are you talking I'm, about me or some other Russ? No, you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Can I the say something rest, about Chess Griffin? Rest, I'm still a little upset with him for leaving Distro Watch because I used to really like listening to that podcast until they got that black guy playing the the, the other music and stuff. Yeah, can, can I take some, 10 seconds here and say something about Linux Reality? Okay. Okay. Um, I, I listened to a few episodes of Linux Reality because everyone's been going on and on and on and on <laughs> about Linux Reality and how good Chess Griffin is and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I have to say I was not impressed. Well, you have to understand, my thinking on it is I was just coming in and I caught in, I bought into it in the first episode all the way through to the last episode. And I learned a lot of stuff from that man. And he's not just a podcaster. He writes books and all this other stuff and everything else. And he's a really nice guy. No, 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 no. Here, let me, let me start that over again. It's I a believe he's deal. Right. I believe he's a nice guy and he did put out a lot of good information. I'm not saying, I'm not taking away from Linux reality. I think what he did was great, but I think it's, I think it's great in the way that a lot of the podcasts that are out now are also great. You know, while he did something that a lot of people are still doing, people seem to put him on some kind of a pedestal maybe. And, and I'm not seeing that he's, uh, better than, the rest of us who are doing the same kind of thing, I, I think he's as good as. And, and I'm not sure where all these the sort of extra adulation is coming from. That, that's where I'm at. I mean, you know, he he did a good podcast. I'm not taking anything away from him. I, I just so what, don't think he was the god of podcasting. So what you're telling me is, is that Larry Bushy is a god, but Chess Griffin is not. No, I never said that Larry Bushy was a god. But Larry Bushy is a god. No, he's not a god. Cthulhu, Cthulhu is a god. Zeus is a god. Larry Bushy is a good podcaster. Uh, Maybe even a very good podcaster. In his home in Rilea, dead Cthulhu lies dreaming. I can't do it with the mouthpiece in. Anyway, where were we? Oh, and as far as Chester Griffin, it's kind of that Garth Brooks syndrome. 
You know, Garth Brooks quit at the top of his game. Yeah, and he came back and he was horrible. Quit and walked away. And that's why everybody thinks he's so great when he is just a mediocre country singer. And not really a good one at that. He's a failed rock singer. That's why he started doing country. He preferred to be Kiss. Anyway, we can go on about this all night. But uh, I don't care what Russ, Russ says, Larry. You listen to me. You are a god. You are the god of Linux podcasts. Or at least a semi-god. Demi-god. Semi-god. <laughs> semi-god. Semi-god. Oh, and my. Then, oh, my. Semi-god. There you go. Of course, they could be multiple-headed gods, uh, Larry and Tom. In fact, I'm not real sure they're not the same person. So Larry is Vishnu? Um, I don't know. But if you do that again, we're going to have to get you a tissue. (laughs) Now we're rambling. Apparently, Russ has signed us up to sponsor, what the heck is this crap? Indiana Linux Fest. Indiana Linux Fest. That's right. And Lord D was nice enough to actually send us a thank you note. It says, glad to see LHS guys can make it. Well, LHS guy. And uh, look forward to uh, talk being submitted as well, I hope. So you need to get on that, Russ. Uh, payment can be made. <laughs> we got to get that in. And we need a logo and a bio and everything else. But, you know, it's nice that D would send us a, send us a note. Even though he is begging money, but that's okay because he is D. You know, uh, I've met a lot of great people on both sides, on the amateur radio side, on the Linux side. And, you know, I probably should have said this a couple episodes back when we hit the big five O, but all of you guys listening to me, and I know that most of the guys that, uh, we occasionally pop off a name of there are listening to us. And everything, and we're glad to know that we're in such good company. So you got anything else? This was sent via the live support link on the website. So if you need to ask us a question, uh, I haven't been on there as much as, as much as I should be probably. And I know Richard hasn't been on there at all. And I know Bill's kind of slacking. He has access to that too. And he's not in there. I've been busy and Bill's been drinking. Oh, okay. I've been just absent. So. Anyway, um, but this is from Mogens. Um, I'm hoping that's how he pronounces it. He didn't correct me the last time, so that must be right. But anyway, his call sign's OZ1AKN, and here's a couple of things he asked. It says, hi there. To make it short, two, two Qs. I assume that means two questions. The first is, is it possible to make a program under Wine start at boot? And number two is how to reinstall Windows in a dual boot setup. Best 73-DE-OZ1-AKN Mogens. Uh, the answer to both of those questions, okay, well, the answer to the first question is yes, it is possible to start a program under Wine at boot. I'm sorry, not at, well, no, you can start it at boot. Um, I'm not sure why you'd want to, though. You might want to start it on the beginning of your X session. That might make more sense, depending on what the application is. Um, and then as far as the other thing is how to reinstall Windows in a dual boot setup, the one way I would suggest doing that, let's see, how, how to address this in a way that I can do it in under a minute. I'll go ahead and spread it out. That's the magic of editing. <laughs> I'm envisioning two different scenarios here. One is 
you have installed Linux on a machine that had Windows and you have a dual boot setup and some, somehow I've lost my train of thought here. Well, while you're regaining your train uh-huh. or at least having someone come back and set it on the tracks for you. Sure. It's my understanding that with XP and Vista and even seven, that when you go dual boot Windows Linux, you have to put the Windows on first, then put the Linux on. And that's the only way that it'll work, at least. That's what I've heard over and over and over again. That is not true. Okay. It, it is, okay, I will say this. It is easier, much easier, to install Windows first and then install Linux. And the reason for that is, when you're done installing Windows, you have a bootable Windows system. When you then install Linux, Linux will automatically detect the Windows system that you already have installed, and it will include it in the Grub bootloader. So you don't have to do any work, and the uh, the dual boot just does its thing because the Grub bootloader is installed in the master boot record, and it and it has an option for both operating systems. That's what makes it easy. That's why it's better to install Linux second. That that jibe with your uh, recollection? No. No? Okay. I would think that you could probably do it that way if you wanted to get in there and monkey with Grub, but a lot of people have a problem with that, especially in the case of Ubuntu and Linux Mint and stuff like that because they have hidden the Grub list. They haven't hidden the Grub list. It's still under slash boot where it always was. I can't find it. Well, if you're using the 098 plus where you're getting into Grub 1.0 or two or Grub 2 rather, uh, things are a little more complicated, but it's still in there. But did you not say it was better to install Linux second? Because that's what I just said. Yes. Yeah. So, so you're agreeing with me? It's the easy way. I was told that my Vista on one of my laptops would make the machine burst into flames if I, I put Linux on there first. Now, well, here's here's the thing. Um, I'm trying to figure out what exactly his situation is. I don't know if he's just lost access to a Windows partition that's on his machine or if he actually completely overrode a disk that once had Windows on it. Now, if the if the second way is what happened and you don't have Windows on that machine at all anymore, then what you're going to have to do is kind of wipe everything, install Windows, and then install Linux again, and that way Grub will do what its thing is. Now, if you're just trying to fix a system where um, you have Windows and Linux both installed, but uh, Windows is not showing up in your Grub anymore, usually what you can do is get a rescue CD, boot with the rescue CD, and then run like uh, grub-update, or I'm sorry, it's update-grub, I guess, and it should auto-find your Windows partition, fix the master boot record, and you should be good to go from there. Now, what I was saying before about the fact that you said you have to install Linux second in order to get both the boot, that's not entirely true. However, what you can do is you can install Linux first, and then you can install Windows. And then what will happen is the NT loader for Windows will be installed in the master boot record. And when you boot up, you'll only have an option for Windows. However, there is documentation out there on the web where if you type in, I think, something like Linux boot NT loader, which is 
November Tango Lima Delta Romeo and TLDR into Google, you will be able to see how to modify the L the NT loader uh, configuration file, which is like ntldr.inf or something like that, so that you can point it to your Linux partition. This is kind of a weird way of doing things where you actually use the Windows NT loader to boot Linux rather than using Linux's grub loader to boot Windows, uh, but it can be done, and I have done it in the past, so it is and, possible. And the Windows bootloader is really, really ugly, so you probably want to use Grub because it's yeah. prettier. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the best way to go, but it can be done. It's it's not impossible, is which is where I'm going. Or write up in an email what the give us more details on the problem, and we will expand on it further. In fact, sounds like a good topic for an episode. It does, but there was another question, which was how to start a, a wine program at boot. Um, the easiest thing to do for that, and I'll probably have to. <laughs> what? What are you laughing at? Go ahead. No, 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 no. I want to hear what this is all about. Okay, shut up and let me finish talking. <laughs> did, did I start talking over you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, clearly, I've missed something. It doesn't take much to amuse me. I've been up since 4.30 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> if you have something to say, you go right ahead and say it. No. No? Okay. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take this um, question in two ways. One is at his word, and the other is the way I think he means it. Uh, the first is how to make a program under wine started boot. The easiest way to do that is to look at in slash Etsy slash RC dot D there will be a file called Skeleton. If you look at Skeleton, it gives you a base file for how to start an application at boot time. You have to know a little bit about um, the way Sys5 init scripts work. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the man pages, and there's a lot of documentation on the web on how to get these to work. But basically, you copy the Skeleton file to the name of your wine application that you want to start say it's like uh, echo link or something like that so you would copy the skeleton file to echo link and then what you would do is you go into the file and it's pretty well documented and you change the necessary parameters so that instead of starting no file it starts whatever you want it to start in other words you change the daemon to like slash user slash bin slash wine space echo link or something like that. So it will start up Echolink at boot time. That that's kind of pseudo code. If you want something specific, let me know and I'll and I'll type up some uh, detailed instructions on how to do that, how to modify the skeleton file. Um, but then you'll be able to uh, start something using Wine at boot time. Now, if what you want to do is what I think you want to do, which is to actually start an application when you start your X session, that's a lot easier. What you do is uh, under a Debian system, you go to your menu, you go to system, you go to preferences, and then you go to startup applications. And under startup applications, you add a startup application, you give it a name, and in the command you put in slash user slash bin slash wine space, and then the path name of the exe or whatever that you want to start. 
and then whenever you start your X session, your Wine-based Windows application will launch. So that's two ways to do it. Um, hopefully that makes sense. If it doesn't, please let me know, and I'll and I'll get more specific about it. But uh, it can be done either way. And as far as uh, the Windows reinstall uh, in a dual boot setup, if if your situation is different than we described it, let me know, and we'll uh, we'll help you out with that situation as well. And uh, thanks for sending in the feedback. We appreciate it. And there you go. And like I said a while ago, if you want to expound upon those uh, questions maybe a little bit, give us a little more information, uh, we we can probably give you a much, much, much better answer. Much better. What else we got, Russ? Well, we'll get through this one real quick. We got a donation for our Hamvention Fund from Tom H., so thanks very much, Tom H., for your very generous donation. We appreciate that. And uh, let me move on to the next thing, which is... Let me rip through some of these because I don't think you hit any of them. Okay. Um, first one I got is from uh, from Fraser. We heard from a while ago. Uh, like I said, he followed He's uh friended me up on Facebook, which the rest of y'all could do if you like. Go on over to Facebook if you're already on there and look for KB5JBV. I'm not hard to find. And we, in fact, set up a, 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 a group for the other show so y'all can sign up there and see what's going on. But anyway, it says, Hi, Richard and Russ. I was wanting to bring your attention to the possible pro- to a possible problem with the LH Podcast Facebook fan page. It looks like it's geo-blocked for me in Canada. I'm sure uh, that's not intentional, but when I click the Facebook icon on LHS Info, it brings me right back to my home to my home page. From what I understand, this is what happens when a certain Facebook page is blocked to a geographical location. Twitter works fine. It's just the Facebook icon. Also, searching Facebook for the page brings up nothing for LHS podcasts. Take uh, take care. We'll be sure to add the add a call sign after I get one in a couple of weeks. Taking my Canadian basic test on the fifth of January. Fraser, you're late, buddy. You're late. And that signed Fraser from Facebook. So uh, how about that one, Russ? Well, I'm actually looking at that right now. So why don't you go on to the next thing while I figure out if I can fix why that's happening? Okay, he's going to fix while it's happening, and I'm going to do something. And this one's from Jim, KG9EQ, KG9EQ. I discovered your uh, podcast while doing a search for QSS TV updates. Why he was using QSS TV and not using Linux anyway. I'm a fairly new convert to Linux, but love the freedom it gives me from proprietary software. I thank you guys for helping us newbies to to Linux begin to figure things out. Keep up the good work. 73GMKG9EQ. Well, thank you, Jim. And uh, that got posted over at the website on the uh, About Us page. Y'all can go check out all the comments if you go on over to the website at lhspodcast.info. So, uh, once again, thank you, Jim. And uh, we appreciate it. I'm not sure if you were using QSS TV before Linux or after you got on Linux, but if you were using it before, I didn't know it was usable in Windows. However, thank you anyway. Uh, anything on that, Russ? 
Do you think I have anything on that? I was fixing the other problem. Okay, fix the other problem. I'll go on the next one. Well, I fixed the other problem. So, uh, Pete, the uh, Linux and Hamshack podcast fan site is no longer geoblocked. You can now get to it. Fraser. Fraser. Whoever, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I can't tell one Canadian from another. You know, it's like they're Koreans up there. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not even going to tell them that the South Park movie is one of my favorite films. So, <laughs> and mostly because of the big production number. All right. So, uh, the next one I've got over here is from Kevin, KB9RLW. I don't know if you have this one or not. It's kind of lengthy. Uh, if it's lengthy, we probably need to hold off on it. Okay. So, we're going to leave uh, Ken dangling. It apparently came in tonight, so we'll just let him dangle, and we'll get it taken care of. Uh, I was asked a question in the chat room a while ago so that uh, everybody can. This is should be for publication, so everybody within the sound of my voice has an idea of what's going on. Has there been any input on Practical Amateur Radio Podcast returning? Now, you all know that I have a special place in my heart for Practical Amateur Radio Podcast because that's one of the shows I helped get started uh, early on. And I have not had any input from Jerry as far as restarting the show. Jerry and I have been talking this week about a, about a website issue for one of the local ham clubs here that's using a, a piece of software that he's familiar with. But other than that, we really haven't discussed the Practical Amateur Radio podcast. And uh, when I get an opportunity, when uh, he's not busy doing other things, I'll either pin him down on uh, over on Google or at the website or get him on Skype or something and uh, us see about doing a talk. But as it stands right now, uh, Practical Amateur radio podcast is still on hiatus and that's pretty much it you know i helped uh, quite a few shows get started in the beginning uh shortly after i came on the scene and there's not a whole lot of them still in operations and it's difficult it's difficult to come in here on a regular schedule or whatever and put out a podcast i, I know y'all are laughing about the other show right now but it is difficult to uh to put this stuff out that's uh, one of the reasons we ask for help, and uh, we do get a considerable amount. So, um, you got anything to say on that subject, Russ, other than picking at me in the chat room? I'm not picking at you in the chat room. I was giving you a podcast idea. <clears throat> While Jerry is on hiatus with the Practical Amateur Radio podcast, two of the other podcasts that I listen to that are sort of amateur radio based have returned and actually put out episodes one of those is the uh teen radio journey put out by casey uh yeah what is it casey 9 qyb that's it um that was one i was worried about because i helped him get going too (laughs) yeah and and jerry was actually kind of mentoring him doing a little elmering for casey 9 qyb as well and he actually came back and he's put out three or four episodes recently so that's good to hear and uh Richard and uh not Richard. No, it is Richard. Brady, Brady and Richard. Rich, right? Rich and Brady over at uh Low well, SWR. Yeah, Low SWR. They came back and they put out an episode recently too. So uh podcasts that I thought had faded or died or met some kind of unpleasant fate are actually back up and running. So that's fantastic. We're glad to hear it. Here's another piece of trivia. I didn't put a whole lot of work into that. 
but he did contact me to ask some questions before they got started. All right. Low SWR? <laughs> yeah, low SWR, Rich. And you invented the Internet, too. You were co-inventor back with uh, Dan Quayle? Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't Dan Quayle. It was the other guy. You know, I, you know, I could sit here and tell you that I helped the guys out over at ICQ Podcast, but that would be a lie. <laughs> you know, I have to say something about the ICQ Podcast. Yes. And this is kind of a semi-rant. I don't, I don't have a problem with the ICQ Podcast in general. I mean, I think their information is fine, Rainbow even West. even if it's a little uh, UK-centric. You know, that's okay. I can deal with that. Well, we're U.S.-centric. So. Right. But the problem I see is that when it comes to the co-hosting of Colin and Martin, it's not really co-hosting. It's Martin saying, or whichever one it is, it's one of them saying, well, here's a story on X, and then the other one expounding at length on X. And so it's almost like uh, Colin. I think Colin's the son, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like Colin is irrelevant to the show. I wish he would speak more. Well, Colin's a pretty new ham, and uh, Martin's been around a while. I have to be careful because I had a talk with, kind of had a talk with Martin and told him that I would be nice because I was being mean. So, yeah, it's kind of that way, but, you know, it's kind of like you and I. You know, you, you're the brains of this outfit, and I'm the beauty. Well, it's that way with Colin and Martin. Okay. <laughs> I think we both talk about 50-50, maybe 60-40 <laughs> slightly edged out by you, but. Yes, we do, but you do the majority of the work, so I, I try to keep you happy. Well, all I'm saying is the ICQ podcast, I enjoy it when I listen to it. I do tend to skip over a few episodes that are particularly UK-centric or something that, by the title, I don't seem to be particularly interested in. But, Colin, raise your voice. Scream from the hilltops. Just talk more. Don't let your dad, you know, cramp your style or whatever. We want to hear you, too. So that, that's what I have to say to the ICQ podcast guys. We do want to hear more from Colin. Colin, if you're listening, I know Martin listens. If you're listening, Colin, get in there more because I understand you're, you're a newer guy. You, you feel you don't know as much, but I'll tell you right now, uh, you've got a hell of a show over there. I've been impressed with it all the way across the board. I know I was a little mean one time, but that's okay because I'm a, I'm one of them bloody Americans. So you probably shouldn't worry about me anyway. <laughs> that's right we don't count we're one of the colonies we we defied the king that's right yeah, yeah they don't care about us over here we're, we're crappy that's crappy. right and since i finally figured out that some of my people did come from over there and if you're wondering galway bay kick it up a notch man it's your show we like listening to martin but we want to hear colin too so yeah and martin's that, in ireland anyway right ireland doesn't count martin Mar no martin's in england Oh, Martin's in England, Collins in Ireland. Collins in Ireland. Oh, that, that means that, uh, that Britain doesn't count. Ireland, go Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you guys in the chat room, if I hadn't helped them out, they would never would have been around in the first place. So if I'm jinxing them, I'm sorry about that. All right, I think we're done here. Let's move on. Let's close the thing out.
All right. Well, there you go. That's all the feedback. We've taken all the abuse in the chat room we can possibly take. We've talked about some uh, some other shows, which people would think we're out of our mind. But you know what? The way to know that you have the best show on the Internet is to not be afraid to promote other shows. So with that, my name is Richard, KB5JBV. If you want to contact me, you can contact me at, believe it or not, KB5JBV at LHSpodcast.info. Or use other email address, which is kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or follow me on the social networks. I'm available on Facebook, Twitter, Identica, all these places. Just look for kb5jbv. And I promise to come out from under my rock, not to hide in the back room of the dry cleaning store or anything else. Y'all come on down and give me a shout. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Russ, and he can give y'all his information. Yeah, this is Russ, K5TUX, and uh, you can find me as J.R. Woodman on most of the social networks out there. I'm also K5TUX at 73s.org. You can email me at info at lhspodcast.info. You can also email me at K5TUX at lhspodcast.info, but don't do that because Richard feels left out when you do. You can also call 417-200-4811. And leave us a message. Make sure to correct the, make sure to select the correct option for Linux in the Hamshack. And please note that our menu options have recently changed. I hate to sound like an IVR stereotype, but in fact, our menu options did recently change, like yesterday. So make sure you hit the right option. It's no longer one. That's about it for that. You can leave a message for us on the website by uh, commenting on a post. You can, uh, see when we're going to be streaming live you can see all kinds of information about us our show notes provided by k9wka and all kinds of cool stuff so anyway use the voice line send us an email contact us tell us what we're doing right what we're doing wrong what you think what you don't think and i'm rambling anyway this is russ from the pine forest between the peaks of north central arkansas and i'm going to send it back to dallas texas or southeast dallas near mesquite where richard is going to say i feel thoroughly abused y'all check in next time for richard to become thoroughly abused once more this is richard kb5 jbv and we'll see y'all next time